In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I was a pastor, I heard a church member express how he invited someone to church and how he basically got the answer, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. He responded by saying, there's always room for one more. If you're looking for a perfect church, you will not see her with your eyes. The perfect bride of Christ does exist, but we do not see her in the flesh yet. We see her in and by the promise of Christ. We see her by faith. We know she will one day exist in the flesh, in the new heavens and earth, but for now, we deal with people according to the corrupted flesh, even as the new life of Christ has begun in them. So it's impossible to find a flawless church or any group of people that do not sin or have no problems. Sometimes this or that group has less problems or we do not see their problems, but there are still problems. Does this make every church hypocritical? I mean, if your definition of hypocritical is that the church is full of sinners that is saints who still sin, then yes, that's every church and every Christian. Just look at what Paul said in Romans 7. If your definition of hypocritical is two-faced or claiming something contrary to reality, such as being holy and not sinning in your flesh, then that does not fit. Not every church is that way. If your definition of hypocritical is that in the church, there are people who believe and people who do not believe in it, then welcome. Welcome to the reality of what Jesus expresses in his parable that we heard today. For Jesus clearly lays down how this is the reality of the world. And so the reality of the church in the world. We live in a world where the believers and the unbelievers live right next to each other and the unbelievers are not uprooted and thrown out even though they could be. And this is what is frustrating about this parable, the reality of living in this world. Christ Jesus is the landowner and he oversees this whole field. And he could at any time send forth his servants, his harvesters, to uproot the weeds, but he does not. Now in the past, I've been responsible for maintaining the land on which I live. This involved trimming bushes, pulling weeds, mowing the lawn, and so forth. One of the things I found in my time doing this was vines growing up trees and bushes and choking out the plant on which it grew. I pull a few yards of vines down that had taken over a tree and effectively destroyed the vitality of several branches. I mean, I saw the impact that such out-of-control plants can have on the plants you want to grow. So why leave the weeds to grow in the field? Why allow the weeds to choke the weeds and make it less fruitful? Why not? Clean the field up. That is, clean up the world. The answer given by the landowner is because uprooting the weeds might also uproot or destroy the wheat. 
The roots are so intertwined that to uproot one before the harvest will harm and impact others. It'll be worse for the wheat if he uproots all the weeds before Judgment Day. Better to let them keep growing together for now. But I ask you, how satisfying of an answer is that? To know that things could be easier for you, but that Jesus is going to leave the weeds, the seeds sown by the devil, to grow among us. This is the frustration of the rest of creation that Paul expresses in Romans 8, as we read it today. Creation was subjected to futility and to its bondage of corruption, groaning and experiencing the pains of childbirth as it awaits the last day when the revealing of the sons of God will be. It's also the frustration of God's people as we live in this world full of weeds. It's the frustration even within the church as we deal with such weeds in our life together inside and outside the church. And yet this is the ministry of Jesus. This is our present reality. The, the basic import of this parable to the crowds, to the people outside, but who are listening in, has been put this way by one of our theologians, Dr. Gibbs. Stop looking for something other than what I am offering you. I must seem truly strange, like a man who has an enemy so evil that he scatters weeds in the man's field at night, and then the owner doesn't even weed out harmful plants from the midst of his own crop. This must seem strange to you. But what you are seeing in me is the present manifestation of God's reign here in the world. In other words, what you are seeing with evil and good living together, believers and unbelievers existing together and even struggling together, this is what God's reign looks like right now. Why? Because God is concerned for his people. It may not look like it, but God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, upon hearing this parable, Jesus' disciples approach him and they ask for an explanation. After all, this does not look good. And not only that, God's people are suffering. How comforting is it that these things are supposed to be this way right now? I don't know about you, but that fact is not very comforting to me. This is with what we have to deal. The world, what you are seeing and struggling with now is what we face. People trying to normalize sin and evil. Family that will not listen to the word. Friends who turn against you. Authorities who seek their own interest over yours. People using other people even to the extent of enslaving them. Injustice and lawlessness running rampant. So many hardships and struggles and fighting and disagreements. The disciples come to Jesus for an explanation. And he says before them the comfort and peace of his reign and rule. Namely, this will not last long. We are indeed groaning inwardly under this suffering, but it is only for a time it will end. Wait for it 
with patience. Jesus' explanation of this parable puts the emphasis on the end times. He explains that he will send forth his angels to gather out the weeds at the right time and to cast them into the fiery judgment that they deserve. Their evil and wickedness will be judged. God knows who are wheat and who are weeds. He will take care of them. And not only that, he will gather his people from the world. For a time, it will seem like evil is triumphing, or at least running neck and neck with what is good in this world. For a time, the two will be in conflict, but only for a time. Soon our Lord will come and harvest his field. He'll gather his people out of the world into his granary, his barn, his house. We will be with him just as he promised. And he did promise you in baptism that you are his. He said you are a member of his household, his planting of wheat. He recreated you in those waters, planting you as sons of his reign and rule, children of his kingdom. No longer are you identified with the evil one. No longer are you of his evil kingdom. Once you were, but no longer. Now you are a new creature, born of Christ's death and resurrection. You are a child of God. And so you have our Lord's harvest, to which you look forward. For that is the day when this struggle with the kingdom of the evil one and with God will end. This means that though we suffer, we live in hope. We live in the certainty of what Christ has said and promised. We will not be abandoned, nor are we left alone. No, God has a plan. But not only that, he is looking out over his field now. He is looking over the world, and he is still in control. And that means we have comfort even now, even today. We don't just have the comfort of what will be in the future. We have the comfort that he is in control now, and that his actions even now are for our benefit. After all, the reason he holds off pulling the weeds is to protect his wheat. He is doing what is best for his sons. His actions remind us of what the Holy Spirit said through Peter in his second epistle. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And a little later, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. God's patience means that we can still grow to bear fruit and be a blessing to others. That they would also come into God's granary and be part of His family. Stand with confidence in his promise that you are indeed part of his household for he has made you a child of his kingdom, a son and an heir of all that Christ Jesus won for you. You're his beloved child whom he spent his lifeblood to make clean 
to save you out of this world and its death, to free you from sin and the evil one. As he won that salvation and gave it to you, he will bring the fullness of that on the last day of the harvest. Until then, we know he's in control, intending his field. He'll bring and work all things for the benefit of his own, and you are his. Walk and live in this certainty, and bear the fruit of his plants. Repentance, fear, love, and trust of God, and love for all those around you. And he has given them to you, for you to love them. Peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>